Welcome to Equus Farm Calls, where we take horse owners along with us to discuss important topics on equine health and care with industry experts. Today, we're talking to Dr. Sarah Colmer about equine rabies. Equus Farm Calls is brought to you in 2022 by Farnham. Horses that ingest sand or dirt may be prone to sand colic. Help protect your horse from sand colic and support overall gut health with Farnham St. Clair Natural Psyllium Crumbles. Contains premium psyllium seed husk to support the removal of sand from the ventral colon. Ideal for horses that graze or eat off the ground, this veterinarian-recommended supplement supports digestive health in horses of all ages, including young foals. Available in tasty apple and molasses-flavored crumbles, making it an easy addition to any horse's diet. I'm Kim Brown, group publisher of the Equine Health Network. Sarah Colmer, VMD, DACVIM, which means she's an internal medicine specialist, is currently a fellow in large animal neurology under Dr. Amy Johnson at the University of Pennsylvania's New Bolton Center in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. She recently completed her residency there to become board certified in large animal internal medicine. She has research interests in neurologic conditions of the horse, particularly degenerative diseases, as well as endocrinology. Thank you, Dr. Colmer, for joining us today on Equus Farm Calls to talk about equine rabies. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. Well, we're excited to talk about this because so many horse owners, they, they forget sometimes when they're talking to their vets and sometimes the vets, uh, they need to, to remember also, and they're going to recommend all horses get a rabies vaccine. But why is it that what, what is it about equine rabies? What, what is it? What is equine rabies and why should we care about it? Those are all really good questions. And you also made a great point about how important it is to vaccinate for this disease. And that's because it is a really devastating and in my opinion, fascinating disease that is largely preventable. And I think that's the key here. And when I say preventable, I am of course referring to vaccination, but rabies is a viral disease that can affect the nervous system and is almost always fatal. That's the other really important thing. So to have something that is so dangerous, but also preventable is certainly worth talking about, I think. And the good news is, although it is a pretty scary thing, it is also something that is generally uncommon in our population of horses in this country. So we are fortunate, but it does happen. And the reason that horses are so susceptible to this disease is that, well, they certainly live outside 100% of the time. And as we'll talk about in a second about kind of where rabies comes from, it can come from wildlife vectors. And, you know, they're certainly exposed to them by living outside oftentimes. And in the last few years, in uh, my experience here at a referral center in Pennsylvania, I have seen three cases that I can think of since 2019. So it's certainly out there and we, we, we see it. Um, and we deal with it. So it's an important disease to discuss. And in the literature, there was a study way back in 2001 to 2011, in which there was an average of 46 cases documented in the country a year, roughly. So it's certainly, you know, something we're talking about. Um, the other the other thing to point out is that in humans, there are only about one to two cases. So luckily, it's a little bit less of an issue for us, but certainly still an issue for our horses. Yeah, and it is critical. And just to let our audience know, um, we will be talking to a wildlife rehab veterinarian person and the group that they work with talking about some of this wildlife on the farms. Because, I mean, you made a great point. Horses live outside. 
And we know some of this wildlife is going to be coming in. But let's go back a little bit and talk about rabies. How does it affect the horse's body? That's also a really good question. Um, you know, one might wonder, how does something so terrible as this happen? And so typically rabies is transmitted via a bite. And the important thing here is that oftentimes as horse owners, you're not necessarily going to see that bite happen. And you might not even find the wounds because if you think about some of the animals that can be implicated in this disease, they can be things like foxes or raccoons or skunks, for example, you know, those are pretty tiny little teeth. So as a horse owner, even if you're doing your due diligence and you know grooming your horses really well, you still could miss these. And so that's an important thing to consider. Um, so sometimes you might not even know that it's been transmitted. And the other important thing is that the saliva tends to be the root of transmission during those bites. So the saliva gets into those bite wounds. And then what happens is this virus will replicate in the tissues where the bite has happened. And eventually it reaches the nerves and then the nerves will eventually reach the spinal cord and finally the brain. And so the clinical signs that you can see with this disease are so variable because they can affect all different parts of the nervous system. And in some cases, the animals might be just really neurologically abnormal. They might have trouble walking. They might have trouble eating. They could even become what we refer to as furious. And I think when people think of rabies, often they they have this image of this kind of rabid dog that's angry and frothing at the mouth and, you know, attacking people. And in horses, um, luckily, we don't tend to, to deal with that form so much. In general, if horses get the furious form of rabies, the most common things that we can see actually are self-mutilation. So if a horse starts kind of violently going on its own legs, for example, and causing wounds and, and bleeding and that sort of thing, that's a big red flag. But in general, our horses, unlike our, our dogs and cats, are not necessarily going to become aggressive towards us, but they certainly can. Um, and the other tricky thing about rabies is because it can affect all different parts of the neurologic system, it can mimic a lot of other diseases. And actually, sometimes they'll come into the hospital as colic cases, which I think is something that probably people don't usually consider when they're dealing with a horse with colic signs. But because it can affect so many parts of the body, it can really present in a, in a variety of different ways. So it's important to keep an open mind, I think, when we're dealing with this disease. And the other thing I'll point out about sort of, you know, how it happens and what happens when we see it is that direct transmission of rabies from horses to humans via bite has not been documented. So that's a good sign. And it's probably because they don't tend to be very aggressive towards us. But it is important to consider that if you have any sort of concerns about rabies in a horse that you are around or exposed to, to limit any sort of contact with saliva or um, any other sort of fluids associated with that horse at that time. Yeah, I remember when I lived in Kentucky, one of the veterinarians was telling me that um, a very experienced horse owner, and there is lots of rabies in Kentucky because there's lots of wildlife and lots yes. of horses. Yes. And said the horse just wasn't eating, so she thought she would check its teeth. And so, of course, then had her hand out in his mouth. And so did a couple of other people. And so they all ended up having to get their, you know, rabies yes. vaccines too. So it's, you know, it's a good idea if your horse is acting abnormally and you don't really know a reason, protect yourself, right? 
Absolutely. Self-protection is so important. So if if rabies, unfortunately, comes across your mind and you're worried about it, it's going to be really important to minimize contact. Like I mentioned, if you have gloves around and you need to contact the horse for any reason, use gloves, eye protection, mouth protection. You really want to sort of cover any of your mucous membranes that could be susceptible to exposure. And the other thing about dealing with a horse that you might think have rabies before you call your veterinarian, which should be done immediately if you suspect it um, is to make a list of anyone that's recently come into contact with the horse yourself included because if god forbid that horse ends up being diagnosed with rabies which we can talk about as well sort of how we diagnose it um, it'll be important to sort of trace anyone that's come into contact with the horse that you know exposure is a concern and post-exposure prophylaxis or you know essentially injections of rabies vaccine need to be pursued yeah, and by the way, those are not around your navel anymore, guys. So don't be afraid of those. Right. They're just shots. I, I have fairly recently experienced post-exposure prophylaxis, and it is no longer around the navel. So <laughs> it's, it's not as intimidating as it once was. Yeah, but something you, you and I had, had kind of talked about before this, it's not just saliva. It's not just in the saliva of an animal. It can be in a lot of other things that people can come in contact with. Yes, that's correct. Um, in theory, it could be transmitted through urine even. So bedding should be considered a biosecurity risk. You know, bedding in the stall where the horse was, if it goes to the hospital or elsewhere, um, should be handled with care. It can be in cerebrospinal fluid, which most horse owners are probably not going to come into contact with. That's more of a concern on my end, probably. Um, and even milk and uh, placental fluids have been implicated. So it's important to really be careful when you're handling handling these sorts of tissues. And on the subject of placental fluids also, I think it's uh, important to note that any horse can theoretically be infected with rabies. It doesn't have to be adults. It can be um, even relatively newborn foals. I will say in the literature, at least, that most cases tend to occur a few weeks after being bitten. Uh, but, you know, in theory, then even younger foals could exhibit these signs. So it's certainly something to keep in mind in any age group. That's a good point. And so when when a horse is bitten, so how long before you might see any kind of signs? Yeah, that's a good question. And a couple weeks usually until signs are shown. But again, oftentimes we don't even know when that bite occurs. So it can be hard to trace back in some cases, you know, how long it truly takes. And interestingly, some um, literature suggests that maybe the distance from the central nervous system might be associated with the time that it takes, which would make sense for those viral particles to reach the nervous system and wreak the havoc that they do. That's a really good point. So, um, so let's talk a little bit more while we're talking about what, what horses look like. Give us some clinical signs. I mean, what else might happen with this horse that should key horse owners that but it's like you said, it could be anything. Yes. But so if you notice that your horse is behaving abnormally or exhibiting neurologic signs such as abnormal gait, for example, if they start tripping and stumbling, um, if they seem really dull, 
On the other side of the coin, if they seem really reactive to stimuli, if they start showing like a droopy ear or a droopy lip or eyelid tone is abnormal, if their tongue's hanging out, all sorts of different neurologic signs, um, you know, should be identified readily and then immediately a veterinarian should be called, particularly if these things happen very quickly. There are certainly some neurologic diseases that also warrant veterinary attention, like EPM, for example, um, that can happen usually a bit more slowly and, and insidious, as we call it. But if you have very rapid neurologic changes in particular, I think that should heighten your concern as an owner. Um, but luckily, you know, like I mentioned, these cases are few and far between. And so much more often are we dealing with things like EPM or wobblers and that kind of thing. So you don't necessarily have to, uh, you know, sound the alarm bells at every, you know, little bit of concern. But it's certainly something to keep in mind if the signs are severe and particularly if they're kind of rapidly uh, showing themselves. Yeah. OK, well, that's that's good to know. So horse owners. Pay attention. If it comes on quickly and it seems neurologic, take all those precautions that Dr. Colmer had talked about before. Let your vet know. And when you call your practice, tell them, hey, I've seen foxes or skunks or whatever on my property. And so that will alert them to be careful when they show up. Exactly, exactly. And another thing to have ready if you are going to be calling your veterinarian is if it's maybe if it's not your regular vet that doesn't already have your horse's records is to kind of know when your last rabies vaccination was because that will often be a question that will be asked of horse owners by veterinarians so that they can kind of rank their list of possibilities before they get there or after they assess the horse. And so, you know, whether or not rabies is at the top of the list might be heavily dictated by whether or not the horse has been recently vaccinated. Well, that's that's good. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about diagnosis. So your vet shows up. How, how are they going to diagnose rabies? Because it does mimic so many other issues. Such a good question. So they will certainly have to kind of use the history of the horse, um, you know, which signs they're seeing, how fast the signs have progressed, all of that information taken together, as well as the vaccination history, and come up with a rank ordered list of possibilities for what the diagnosis is. If there is really a concern of rabies, it is recommended that a horse be sent to a referral center if possible, um, and kind of minimize the contact of those involved with it. And Referral centers, by that I mean like hospitals, for example, in which biosecurity can be implemented in its kind of most stringent forms. Um, you know, a horse would be placed in an isolation stall. Uh, people would wear complete personal protective equipment when dealing with the horse, that kind of thing. However, the unfortunate thing about rabies, one of the most devastating things is that no matter what species we're dealing with, we cannot diagnose this before death or we can't diagnose it anti-mortem. So just like, um, you know, years and years ago, we're still in this place where we need to diagnose it by actually looking at the brain. And as you can imagine, that is not something that can be done in life. So um, unfortunately, when rabies is suspected and a horse either succumbs to the disease, it's Self or is euthanized, the diagnosis is made by sending the brain in the head or in the skull to the state laboratory of wherever you're located. And the state pathologists and veterinarians will evaluate that for evidence of um, the antibodies in that tissue. So unfortunately, there's no blood test. 
there's no CSF test. There's really nothing that we can do um, before, before death, unfortunately, which is a really frustrating thing for everybody. The one thing about rabies, though, is if it is truly rabies, it tends to really severely and rapidly uh, make its presence known once the signs start. So even though it can take weeks for them to begin, once they start, they really just kind of snowball. Um, and so generally it, it sort of announces its presence, you know, pretty readily. So it's, it's really tough, though, certainly for both veterinarians and owners. Yeah, that is. So. Is there any treatment if your horse, let's say, has been vaccinated against rabies? Um, how, what do you do if you either see a bite or suspect this or your vet suspects it? I mean, is there anything you can do? That's a good question. And I think I can approach it in a couple of different ways. I guess to answer the question about is rabies treatable? Unfortunately, there's absolutely no treatment at all. When a horse is hospitalized for rabies, we will do everything we can to support them with, you know, anti-inflammatories and intravenous fluids and slinging and all those sorts of things, um, especially because we can't diagnose it pre-mortem, right? So we do want to try to treat whatever we can treat and manage what we can manage until they kind of, you know, decide that, you know, they they kind of go on their own or we euthanize them. And so we do everything we can to support them. But unfortunately, there is no treatment. But if you do suspect that rabies has happened, if you see a fox or a raccoon or some other element of wildlife bite your horse, I think the most important thing to do is going to be to call your vet, as I mentioned. And if your horse has been vaccinated, the recommendations are to immediately re-booster that vaccine. Um, so that's going to be you know, an, an important thing to do right away. And that does have to be administered by a veterinarian, which I think is a good thing to point out as well, because some vaccines can be given without the uh, guidance of a vet, but rabies is a really important one. So we want to make sure we have it documented and that it's given by a veterinary professional. Uh, but if you do notice that bite, call your vet, have them vaccinate. Um, they might clean up the wound. They will recommend um, sort of, you know, monitoring very carefully. Um, and if a horse is exposed to another horse that had a confirmed positive rabies status, Again, we're going to vaccinate, um, we're going to booster and recommend a booster vaccine for that horse as well and observe it for 45 days per the AAEP guidelines. So if, if any horse owners um, or veterinarians want to know the specific va vaccine guidelines, you can actually go online and look at the American Association of Equine Practitioners or AAEP rabies vaccine guidelines that are really well um, established in terms of what age horse gets what vaccine and kind of what that timeline looks like. Um, and so a 45 day observation period would be recommended in general if a horse has been exposed to another horse with rabies. And we will make sure, uh, Dr. Coma, we will add a link to the article that goes with the podcast. So if you're listening to the podcast, you can go to equimanagement.com. I'm sorry, you can go to equusmagazine.com and you can look at um, the podcast and the article that goes with it, and we'll add an, a link in there so they can see those AEP guidelines. That's great. That'll be really helpful. I appreciate that. And I guess the one other thing I wanted to mention about if your horse, if you suspect that your horse has been exposed to another horse that was confirmed positive, if your horse is not vaccinated, that's going to be a much more serious conversation. And so a state veterinarian will usually be contacted when there is a positive and other horses that may have come in contact will be in discussions with the state vet. But there can be really serious recommendations for animals that are not vaccinated that came in contact with a rabies positive horse, um, sometimes euthanasia might 
might be necessitated or um, isolation for a really long period of time, you know, several months even. So it can be really important to keep your vaccines up to date and also communicate with, you know, your barn managers, um, other horse owners and the state veterinarian. Yeah, that's a good point. Make sure let let the professionals know so that they can make, give you the best guidance possible. Um, let's talk a little bit about prevention. Okay, so we've got a vaccine, which that's awesome because, you know, that's that's a great thing. Um, personally, I think every horse should have a rabies vaccine. I don't care where you are. There's wildlife. I live in Wyoming now and there's wildlife. I mean, I had foxes killing chickens on my property. So I know there's foxes around. So, you know, there horse owners just do it i mean just ask your vets and do it right but what else can you do when should you vaccinate what does it take if, you, if you're breeding horses that's a little different so when when are the great things to vaccinate times that's a really good question and i can kind of go over those highlights and again for those that might have the link to the aep guidelines they'll provide more details but to sort of summarize if you are dealing with um, breeding we certainly recommend annual rabies vaccines in brood mares before breeding and then also again four to six weeks before foaling and once the foal is on the ground, we recommend um, starting that process pretty early. So foals can typically start with their first rabies vaccine at about three to four months of age, and then a second booster dose um, about four to six weeks thereafter. And then from that point on, once they're adults, we do recommend revaccinating every year. So essentially, like you said, every horse really should be vaccinated. The risk is out there. Um, some states and some regions of the country, also like you highlighted, Kim, might have more wildlife and therefore be considered more endemic, we refer to it as. And if you live in an endemic area, that's certainly going to be um, something that you want to take even more seriously. So every horse, certainly we recommend an annual rabies vaccine okay and i want to just reiterate one more time if you think your horse might have rabies let's just walk through what should you do Great, great question and a good way to, I think, kind of summarize everything. So the first thing that you should do is uh, honestly just remove yourself from the situation. Make sure everyone else knows to minimize contact as well. Then call your veterinarian right away. Express your concerns. Have your recent vaccine history available if they don't have it. For instance, if you're calling a, a different emergency clinician, make a list of people that have recently come into contact with the horse, perhaps while the veterinarian is on the way. And if you, for some reason, find yourself absolutely having to make contact with this animal that you are concerned about, make sure you protect yourself, use gloves, Use protective eyewear if you have it. Um, masks as well are gonna be really important and just try not to come into contact with any fluids as best you can. Although that's a, a great list to end with today. And Dr. Colmer, thank you so much for joining us today on the Equus Farm Calls podcast. That's a really super important topic and you made it much clearer. I appreciate that. Absolutely, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And a big thanks to our audience for joining us today on Equus Farm Calls brought to you by Farnham. And we welcome your input and hope you'll tell your friends about the podcast. If you have any suggestions or comments, you can contact me at kbrown, that's the letter kbrown, at equinenetwork.com. Equus Farm Calls is a production of the Equine Podcast Network and entity of the Equine Network, LLC.